Yes, I knew Sister White. We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget it. Thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing well. I really enjoyed the Benedict Men documentary um, for a variety of reasons. And one of them was you and the way that you sort of guide the not only the young men there at St. Benedict's, but also you sort of guide the, the, sort, the ideals, uh, guide our minds in thinking about what's really at stake, um, not just for the school, the young men, but but kind of the larger issues of race, poverty, faith, masculinity. And I'm curious, um, what uh, what drives you to to lead out at a at a school like that that way? Well, uh, the um, it's a it's an interesting uh, question. What well, obviously, what 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 drives me is uh, is is faith, right? That uh, the, the fundamental questions of life: uh, Who am I? What's the meaning of my life? And and then the real critical question: What's the meaning of my life in the face of my death? Right? That I'm, yeah, I'm going to die someday. So uh, that does. And then um, and then having been embraced and loved into another way of being uh, by the, by the African-American and then later by the Latino community here in Newark. Um, so that uh, that's what's kind of been at the heart, I think of all of our work. I mean, there's a, there's an interesting uh, story. I don't think it was in the documentary, but uh, um, when we began this, we, we had had run, uh, had the school for 102 years and it wound up closing because, essentially because of racism. Um, and, uh, when we got a, a, a school venture going again, a year later, after having lost 14 members of our religious community, uh, we, we had no intention of calling it St. Benedict's Prep. And so this is probably, a night, we started again in 1973, this is probably 75 maybe. And then at a, uh, at a parents meeting one night, Carl Lamb Sr., his son was a member of the class of 78. Uh, he said to me, he said, by the way, I want to ask you something. Why was it good enough to be St. Benedict's Prep when it was all of you? Hmm. And now that it's all of us, it can't be St. Benedict's Prep anymore. Wow. And uh, I, so number one, I didn't have an answer. I said, I still am. I think he just reopened St. Benedict's Prep. <laughs> so, and he did. So it became St. Benedict's Prep then. But what it makes it made us realize that it's very easy to uh, to to recognize racism, so to speak, in the other. But why didn't we want to call it St. Benedict's Prep? Did we think, oh, that they're really not? They probably can't do the work that was St. Benedict's Prep has been asking of kids for generations. But so racism is in all of us because we lived in this country, right? Yeah, it, and it affects all of us. So to realize that. And then to be able to be loved through it by uh, by this community here, and be accepted by the community, embraced by the community, 
and allowed to have a hand in the, in the growing up and the raising of, of, uh, of the kids from the community is something that creates a sense of obligation and a sense of passion to be able to, to do it at the, at the, to the best of our ability, I think. So that's kind of a long-winded answer to, to, to your, your, uh, your question. That's so all right. That's why I see bigger issues, you know what I mean, rather than just yeah. way beyond basketball or sports or even academics for that matter. You know, that's what I really uh, appreciated about the way that the story was told is because I am a basketball fan um, and I care about education. Um, but, you know, you, you, I found myself going along in the story and being called to, to think about, you know, interfaith dialogue, for instance. Mm -hmm. Would you mind talking mm -hmm. a little bit about you use this metaphor of climbing the mountain of faith together in the film. I don't know if you remember that. I um, do. Yep. And you have uh, students who are of Muslim faith, Christians and Jews all playing together on the same basketball team. Um, what is it like to, uh, you know, um, think about Christian education, uh, in this case, Catholic education and its principles, but also to translate them into uh, folks of faith from other backgrounds who are asked in some way to think about, you know, the principles involved. Right. So, so the, the, uh, I think the, the basic and fundamental responsibility that we've been uh, given uh, and, and the command that we've received from the Lord is uh Take up your cross and follow me, and uh, love the other the way I have loved you. Well, that—that's a loving the other. We're all for that. And the, the, I, as I have loved you, is where the problem comes in, because that requires love in the dimension of the cross. Yeah, right. Which means means suffering, offering yourself completely for the sake of the other. That's that's what we have such a difficulty with, even Christians, right? Yeah. It, that uh, uh, to, to to well to the on the extreme level to die for the other, so to die to yourself, and and uh, uh, to be able to be uh, uh, to love the other. Right? Saint Paul said, "It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me." That's what you try to work towards. That's a that's a gift, obviously, that comes from God. But uh, so that that sign of the cross. Of, of the Lord of Christ is is what drives the the whole thing. So, um, uh, but it was the biggest. It was a big fight in the early in the primitive church. Correct? I yeah. Mean, do we? Is it just for the Jews? Is is uh, remember? Everybody forgets that Jesus was a faithful Jew. Yeah. That's why he was attracted to the Pharisees because they were they were they weren't bad people. They were highly observant people. Um, but. Uh, do we go to the? Do we go outside the Jewish community and, and uh, announce this good, this news, this good news to, to all around the world? That's what he asked us to do. So, uh, uh, and also not, I think, I think the, the reason that the, the Muslim community can be here, the Jewish, well, we're, we, I mean, we stand on the shoulders of the Jewish community, right? I mean, so uh, we, we're Judeo-Christians, mm -hmm. um, and Hindus are, are, are here as well. But um, the, the, uh, uh, the, the fundamental task is not to convert the world. 
is to announce the good news and to be, what did he say? He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Well, nobody goes and eats and eats uh, a plate of salt for dinner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What the salt is supposed to do is to is to bring life. It's a it's a flavor. Uh, the whatever it is that people are eating. I think that's what we're called to be as, as Christians. Not necessarily to convert everybody, but to be salt. To to and that's what we try to do. And I think if if you do it faithfully. Uh, that then people are attracted to that. And I think that's what's happened, right? So that uh, that's why I can talk about climbing the mountain of faith that leads eventually to the embrace of uh, the mystery of God, the mystery of the divine, um, from just different sides of the mountain, of the mountain. And, uh, uh, but to be a sign of faith uh, is, is what we're called to do. That's why, I kid about it all the time with the kids and, and parents. We talk about it early on when they come here. Is this our whole property? We have about twelve acres in downtown Newark, um, and uh, there's a fence around it. And uh, I tell people the fence is not to keep monks in or to keep people out, but it's to mark off holy ground, hmm. so that uh, um, so we can be those of us who gather here. Including, including the 875 kids, right? Kindergarten through grade 12, um, uh, to be a sign of faith that that we can live in communion with one another, not not in not in unison, but in communion, accepting one another as the other is, uh, and to be a sign to others of of uh, of this love of Christ. That's how people come to believe. They say, how do, how do these people do this? Well, we don't do it. The Holy Spirit does it through us. Yeah. So, uh, and the fact is, the fact is, in the middle of a city that's, you know, struggling to get back on its feet, uh, with a lot of poor people and a lot of people carrying a heavier burden of uh, the virus that other people do and all that, in the middle of that, um, people still are attracted to it. Crazy as it is. Yeah. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not us. Um, we've talked about race. We've talked about religion. Uh, now it's time to get controversial. And um, I would love to get your thoughts on the current marriage between education, sports, and American success. Go. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, success is, uh, I always think about Mother Teresa of Calcutta, Um Someone once asked her how would she know if she was being successful in her work in, uh, in Calcutta. And she looked at the person with this quizzical look and said, I wasn't called to be successful. I was called to be faithful. Mm. Right? So yeah. um, success is, uh, is very, very relative. I, mean, I know I judge success this way. When, when guys, or, or now we have, because the girls, there's a group of girls that kind of barged in here. So now we have girls in a, in a separate division of uh, ninth grade, nine to 12. And, um, but with our, with our guys, when they can introduce me to their kids, hmm. then I know we've, we've, we've done something. Hmm. Whether they've gone to college, didn't go to college, whether they, it doesn't matter to me. Um, what, what matters is that they can introduce me to their kids. And uh, because most of them could not have been in- introduced to me by their dads because their dads weren't present in their life for one reason or another, you, frequently because they're incarcerated 
and uh, because we incarcerate more people than any place else in the world. Yeah. And most of them, are, most of them are men of color, right? So, yeah. Uh, um, therefore, uh, when our guys can introduce them to their kids, and in fact, I've had now, I've been doing this for so long, I've had bunch, a huge number of the sons of the guys that I worked for uh, when they were kids. And uh, I tell people when I get to be, when I start getting grandsons, I may stop. <laughs> 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 so, uh, but, the, but, but sports in, uh, is, uh, well, it's, it's, it's become kind of fool's gold, you know, because there's a lot of parents that start chasing, um, the, the scholarship to go to school, uh, to go to college through sports. Well, sure. I mean, kids have a better chance of being neurosurgeons than they do of being a professional basketball player. Yeah. And, and, uh, getting scholar, you can get a scholar. We can get kids in college on their brains if they work at it. Yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's, I think it's, uh, it's, it's become a, in, in some sense, it's taken the place of religion. Even, even to the point of when it's, when it's celebrated, so to speak, right? Sundays, right? It's, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's become a new 80,000 people gather on Sunday in an arena to watch a football game. But, uh, but thinking about the relationship with the divine, it, it gets lost. So it's, it's uh, and the, the insatiable need in this country right now, the insatiable need for diversion to be distracted from uh, uh, from the, the, the fundamental questions where you and I started talking. Right? Who am I? What's the meaning of my life? And what's the meaning of my life in the face of my death? Nobody, wa- nobody wants to talk about that in the U.S. Nobody wants to think about it. They think they're going to live forever and ever. Yeah. We are, but not this way. That's yeah. the point. And, and uh, so any kind of diversion, right? entertainment, constant entertainment or or the, the incredible use of drugs, anything to change the way me from having to deal with me right, is, I think, one of the, uh, it's what's going on in the country. And then, um, uh, then you add to that the, the divisiveness that's now been, been introduced into our life uh, that, uh, that you, you, can't, you can't even listen to the other. That's the problem. You know, the, you, yeah. people just are, so committed to their to their own personal ideologies that uh, I think about it all the time, Alexander. When I when I uh, if I have to fly back into Newark, you if you're coming from the north, landing from north to south, you come over a pretty well-to-do part of New Jersey and uh, the southern tier of New York, mm-hmm. and you look down and you see everybody's backyard. Um, they all have a they're all fenced in and they all have a pool. So the concept of of being in something together, you know what I mean, sharing, mm-hmm. is kind of gone in this country. So we're here working uh, working uphill in the sense that uh, we're, we're we're preaching to these guys and the and the girls, and they they actually believe it and buy it is to give up give up what you want for what we need, which is one of the challenges, exactly the challenge that happened with the basketball team in eighteen nineteen. That was the documentary was about. They struggled giving up what they what 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 they wanted for what the team needed. And you can see it in Jonathan Hawk, the, the director of it did a great job telling that story. Yeah, it was all about and, uh, their own hopes to, and dreams uh yeah. versus what's good for the team 
um, and and That's realizing correct. that they're better off working together than just trying to be That's their correct. own but, um, and, star. And frequently, frequently, their own hopes and dreams weren't even their own hopes and dreams as much as they were their parents or somebody else's hopes and dreams. Right? They, they yeah. got overlaid onto the kids frequently. And, and, and then the kids begin to get seen not as a son, but as an asset. Yeah. Which is, that's, that's it. And it happens all the time. All the time you see it in, uh, in this country, especially around those sports mm-hmm. where there are professional opportunities, right? So basketball, soccer, American, we don't play American football, but American football does it as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible you, when you, there's a million, people in the world that could be your son's basketball coach, football coach, uh, uh, wrestling coach, soccer coach, a million people. It's only one person that could be his father. Yeah. You know, and one person that could be his mother. So you, you, there is a line in the, in the documentary where a parent was there in the stands cheering for, uh, his son, I believe. Um, but also talking to someone else and said, you know, I, I try to remind myself, I'm paraphrasing here, that that these guys are teenagers, which is really important because yep. they are carrying uh, n- not just the the weight of being often the man of the house if their father's not there, but also the, you know, you know, the dreams of their mother in Mali um, who they haven't seen for three years or the the hopes that they carry for themselves uh, tied to their sense of self-worth, masculinity, to, to make something of themselves get, you know, get a chance. But I don't blame them and I don't blame their parents. Correct me if I'm wrong in this way. I, I feel like the way that we've structured our, our, our capitalist system bears some of the responsibility because it is absurd to to think these guys who are going out there and playing the great game of basketball are also playing for their very lives in a way uh, and and that is horrible to to put on them um we're asking them to battle um and you know I like a good fight but they're battling really for this you know the stakes are incredibly high because they see this as maybe their only chance to get a college education, uh, their only chance that they're, they might live in a house um, someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, how, do you, how do you think about it? Yeah, that, that, that's correct. It's been, it, but, but it's not surprising because what's put in front of them all, no, first of all, no 15, 16, 17, or 18 year olds, you have to have that burden. None, no. zero. Um, it's a bad mistake, and and nor should the parents have to have that burden. That it happens because the parents communicate that because the parents are up against it frequently, right? Especially if it's just mom. Yeah, I mean they're up against an impossible task. Um, so, so all that's put in front of these kids by the media is sports, right? Yep. Who else do they see? They don't see the neurosurgeon. They don't see the uh, the uh, investment banker at, at Goldman Sachs. They don't see that. So they don't even think that that's a possibility for them. Uh, at all, uh, so we 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 send. Then the challenge, of course, is we send guys to some of the most selective universities in the country. Then they, then they have a whole other challenge because because they're frequently in a huge minority in those schools, right? And the schools don't understand their issues either frequently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a it's a it's a big time challenge. But what we put in front of them, which is controlled all by white people, right? The media. 
um, and uh, uh, is is disaster. Yeah, it's disaster. Uh, that's why you to try to ex- expand experiences. I mean, we have we have relationships um, in. Uh, well, number one, what's important is the, is the, is voice. Voice. These guys have to discover their voice or have their voice amplified. And that's what we try to do for the girls as well now. Because most guys of color don't think their voice matters. The only way you can get anybody's attention is you go out and, and gather in huge numbers and turn over cars or something. Then people are, oh, they must be serious, right? Yeah. But in terms of engaging in the dialogue, uh, uh, civic dialogue in the country, they, not, they feel like they're not heard. They're just not heard, right? If, <laughs> if, a bunch, if a bunch of black kids, guys especially, a bunch of black guys gather at the riot, Right. A bunch of white guys gather at the demonstration. Yeah. <laughs> just the language that we use is problematical. Yep. Right? Yep. Uh, and so, uh, uh, and the, the other big, big challenge we have is, uh, well, I've talked about this a lot, especially in relation to the, to the documentary, that, uh, that we knew as white people, we knew exactly what we had to do to maintain the economy of the country back in the 1800s of, of, of cotton and all that because we needed slavery, right? Yep. So we used slavery to do that. So in order to maintain slavery, you had to completely destroy the African male. Yep. You had to because they were so strong. It was in the, the, everybody in this country. You, I used to hear this growing up as my, myself as a kid. Oh, the, 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 that culture, that culture is a matriarchal culture. Yeah. Well, we made it that way. White people made it that way because we destroyed the African male intentionally. The family intentionally, yeah, to control to control slavery, split families up, and <laughs> not to mention what's going on on the border right now. Talk about the same thing going on today. Yep. Uh, um, but in order to control the African male, we destroyed him and we humiliated him. We did everything possible, and and we still suffer from it. Right? So yeah. we're still destroying him incarcerations and all this kind of stuff frequently frequently for the same thing that a white guy would be able to hire a lawyer for the, the, the black guy gets a public defender who's got a case uh, stacked up uh, like a like some hoarder's house you know and they, <laughs> and they tell him oh, just plead to it or something right and yep. it's crazy yeah it's crazy what goes on so uh, all of that uh goes into this this mess that creates this burden on these kids with the way they think they can get out is by looking at, well, I see, they see Steph or they see LeBron. And the good news for me is that guys like Steph and LeBron are beginning to talk another language. You know what I mean? They're not letting themselves yeah. get pigeonholed yeah. into simply being a basketball player. They're starting to talk about real issues, um, which I think is a huge help. Uh, so absolutely. Does any of this make sense? Yes, it it does. (laughs) Yes, I really appreciate it. I know you've got mass coming up, so I've just got a a question uh, to wrap. And that is, you you know, you've um, spoken very honestly about the struggles that um, the students there at St. Benedict's face. Um, How long have you been there? Okay, so it depends on when you start to count. Okay. Uh, I went to school here between 59 and 63 as okay. a student. All right. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't accepted when I applied. <laughs> <laughs> I got rejected. <laughs> um, my father talked to the pastor of our church, and he wrote a letter, and they got me in provisionally, and 
the joke turned out to be some of the people that rejected me wound up working for me. <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, then I, I entered the monastery here in uh, in 65, and I've been living, living in Newark since 1969 continuously and been running the school. Well, I was in, I, in 72, I got the job to begin to put it together to, re, to open some kind of an educational venture until Mr. Lamb opened St. Benedict's that night by asking that question. Yeah. So I've been doing it since 72. It'll be 48 years. Wow. Congratulations for that. Uh, yeah. That you, you, uh, I don't remember the vows of St. Benedict, but I think one has to do with work, right? Well, well, the vows that we take are one is, that's what makes this place different is, uh, um, we take one vow of, uh, conversion of life, uh-huh. uh, one of, uh, uh obedience and yeah. one of stability oh, so okay. that uh, we're, we're not moved around from place to place to place. Um, we, 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 you commit yourself to a particular house and you live there. So that's what makes this different in terms of the, uh, of our present mission and work is because kids can come back and find the same faces 20 years later if we're still alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is, which is the other thing that was destroyed, uh, in our cities with, uh, this is not my idea. I was taught this by one of our guys who's a PhD in, uh, in American history. He said, what was destroyed in our community was legacy. Yeah. So that all of the school buildings in, in our cities all have a story, right? Yep. There were Poles, Germans, Irish, Lithuanians, all kinds of different people who walked through those hallways over various generations. And when it became African-American, no one told the story. Yeah. So the takeaway from the African-American community was, I guess we're not worthy of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they probably interpreted it correctly because you hear language like, oh, that used to be a great school. Yep. So if you're in the school now, what are you thinking? Like, yeah. well, what happened when we got here? So what we have, and we didn't do this intentionally, it just happened. But we, when we reopened, when Carl Lamp reopened Benedict, our, our alumni from my generation embraced the thing somehow. Again, the Holy Spirit, I believe, right? So that it automatically connected uh, a generation with previous generations that had gone through here back into the 40s at that time in the 30s. And it still goes on now. I mean, we run a morning meeting. If you haven't seen it, you should come. It's at 8 o'clock in the morning, but after it's over, uh, it's up on our website. Uh, and uh, we now have people from all around the world come to the meeting. Uh, it's all virtual. And alums get on it. And uh, you can, you've been doing it for long enough now that the alums know the kids. The kids know the names of the alums. And this, this connection happens over generations, which is, uh, which is exactly what doesn't exist in our schools in inner city. So, uh, That's great. Like I said, we didn't, we didn't think about doing it. it. It happened and we just, we noticed it when it happened. So thank you so much for talking with me today. I've really appreciated it. I have one last quick question for you. And that is, you, you know, the school faces so many, um, challenges with COVID, um, as you're trying to deal with just the normal things of, of teenagers, you're thinking about race and poverty. Um, what gives you hope to, to keep going on? Uh, well, remember hope, the way I think about hope, hope is, a, is 
theological hope is a conviction, right? It's a possession, a possession that what I believe, namely in the power of the, uh, what, I, what I said earlier, the power of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrection, that new life is possible. Hope is a conviction that, that, that I own that. That's true. So uh, what, that hope that I have is, 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 uh, is to do what the Lord has commissioned us to do, and then, and then uh, hope and believe that, that, that in the end, there's, there's, a, there's a result, right? The result may not be here, because uh, it could look like a failure, right? Mm-hmm. It looked like a, the crucifixion looked like a failure. Yeah. The crucifixion looked like a defeat. It looked like the, the, the victory of darkness, right? But, but the fact is it was a victory and it was the light and uh, uh, it, it wasn't a defeat at all. So, I mean, uh, that's what keeps, keeps me, me doing it in the middle of uh, and us doing it and the kids doing it, right? I mean, they keep, remember, the kids do as much for us as we do for them. Yeah, and always. They've changed my life. Again, this community has changed my life. So, uh, it, this is not, it's easy to look at it as, oh, they're doing so much for, for, for them. No, that's not true. I mean, it's true. We do do a lot, but, but they've done a lot for us. They've converted us. That's what people don't believe that, right? We, white people need to be converted relative to issues of race. Yeah. I, I don't know if you read the book, White Fragility. Yes. Uh, right. We need, we, white people can't talk about racism. <laughs> they're too, and we're all racist. Yeah. They're too fragile. <laughs> yeah. That's correct. That's correct. So uh, it's not a it's not a black person's problem, racism. Yep. I mean, the result of it is, but not the problem. It's our problem. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm I'm convinced. I'm convicted that uh, that faith is real. Faith is real, and uh, that the, the Lord has been, has been victorious. However, that plays out, I don't know. I don't know how it'll play out. Right? I didn't know what's going on now would would go on when we started doing this so you have to there's a certain point you have to put it you have to surrender right surrender yourself and and the and the work to the lord and then work like hell (laughs) (laughs) well that's a great way to end thank you so much for talking with me today and for thanks for thinking of us i appreciate it yeah well i wish you all the best anytime okay thanks pray for us all right will do We will not fear. The kingdom is alive. The kingdom's on the move with the poor and the meek and the hungry and the lonely. I'll never forget.